Good morning. How's everybody doing? All right, I'm glad. Hey, so I have a privilege this morning. Uh, last week, we had a new members class, and we have uh, five new members to our church. So, woo, that's worth it. Yay. Yay. Uh, and I'm going to introduce you to four of them today. We have a mystery member who wasn't able to make it, and I'm going to wait until she, I'll give you that much, uh, is back from vacation, and so we'll introduce her then. But the four that went through the members class and signed the membership covenant and, and now must do everything I tell them, <laughs> just kidding, are uh, uh, Brian and Nikki Pugh, who Brian plays the bass for us. You can stand, please. And uh, they've been with us a while, but decided to join the membership. And then uh, Helen Waller has joined. If you can stand, please. You don't have to. I mean, I'm not. See, already they don't do what I say, right? Does that... <laughs> and then uh, Sherry Studebaker. Studebaker, right. And uh, so Helen and Sherry are a little newer, and they've decided, even in this transitional time and COVID time and all that, they've decided to join our church. So I am excited for these four uh, new members. And so let's uh, give them a round of applause and thank God for their presence among us. So if you haven't got to meet them, so you can be seated now. If you haven't got to meet them, uh, take, a time, take time today to do that and uh, introduce yourself and uh, let them tell you a little about themselves. They have exciting stories and I'd like to share them with you today, but I'm not going to because I'm going to preach from the Word of God, if that's okay. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. This morning, as I came down to church, I come down usually around 5.36 and go into my office and then just start going through the message one final time. And as I was doing that, I came to the decision that what I had was uh, way too much. First, it was too long, which isn't, that, isn't always a bad deal. Just sticking around a little bit longer isn't that big a deal. But second, the last part of the message just got really deep and difficult, and I didn't feel exactly prepared to give it. I needed, uh, it, was a, it was a thing we needed to be awake for, and I didn't need that to happen at the end of an even long message. So... Instead of covering verses 17 through 19, which was the plan, I'll introduce them, but only focus on verse 17 today. So in your notes, if you took note, if you grabbed some notes from the back or printed them out from the web, uh, we won't get to number two on the back side today. We'll begin with that next week. Okay? Now in verses 17 through 19, we find the third command that Peter gives in his opening section. We've went through the first and second. We'll talk about those in a second. But let me just read verses 17 through 19. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. 
So next week, we're going to talk about that second part, and I thought I was going to talk about it this week, so I actually asked Donnie to play Nothing But the Blood, but I think it, we, we, still, we, we can still uh, attest to the truth of that. Maybe we'll, I'll have him play it again next week. These verses are, are somewhat difficult to understand. If you've, re- if you've read them before, if you've studied them before, if you're reading them now, they're like, hmm, what, what's going on here? What is this? When I first read them, I wasn't sure what to make of them. And I want you to know that I got a lot of help in my personal understanding and in preparing this message, especially verses 18 and 19 for next week from one of John Piper's sermons on this passage. Uh, Piper often helps me, but in this instance, he was invaluable. So let's begin by putting this command in context. If you recall verses 1 through 12, Peter proclaims, he rejoices in what God, Father, Son, and Spirit uh, have done for believers, for these, he calls us elect exiles. He tells us of our election how God accomplished that, our sanctification through the power of the Spirit, our, our new birth in Christ, our salvation, our eternal inheritance. And even, uh, he even tells us that our trials, the trials that we experience are for the, 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 the refining of our faith. In these opening verses, Peter's purpose is to encourage, to encourage the elect, those who are chosen by God, but are still living as exiles in this fallen world to encourage those who are still experiencing trials and difficulties, hardships, still experiencing grief, encouraging us to be grateful and rejoice in all that God has done for us. Then after laying this encouraging foundation of joy and gratitude, Peter in verses 12 through 21 gives three, uh, I think, foundational commands for us to obey. This is how those who are elect are to live as exiles in this world. The first command found in verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, so through the mind, through through God's work in, in your mind, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We looked at this command two weeks ago, the message titled, To Live in Hope. And we'll talk a little bit about hope today. The second command is found in verse 15. But as as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We looked at this command uh, last week, right? Yeah, last week. With a message titled, Live in Holiness. So the first command is to hope fully on the grace of God. Second command is to be holy like God in all your conduct. And today we come to the third command, found in verse 17. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. The third command is to conduct yourselves with fear, or as the message is titled, to live in fear. So Peter gives his readers, elects exiles, three commands. Three commands that tell Christians, children of God, the elect, how to live as exiles in this world. How to rightly live in the midst of trials and hardships and difficulty and grief and suffering. We are to live in hope, to live in holiness, and to live in fear. 
Now, I want you to notice that with each of these commands, we move further and further away from the thinking of people in this world, certainly, and even uh, many Christians. For the first commandment, live in hope, I doubt that many people would argue with that. Even non-Christians think hope is important, right? Isn't that, you know, hope? Hope is good. The second commandment was uh, live in holiness. Remember, holiness has two sides. It involves being set apart from the things of this world, sinful and sometimes even the normal uh, things of this life, and being set apart for God and His purposes, being dedicated, consecrated, sanctified to the Lord. Now, I don't think the world is up for either part of holiness, but I'm pretty sure that most Christians are still on board, at least with the first part. We certainly get the idea of being set apart from the sinful, the evil things of this world. In that sense, holiness is a Christian virtue, something we should aspire to. God is holy, sinless, so as His children, we should at least try to be holy or to sin less, right? But when it comes to being uh, set apart for God, meaning that your life is not your own, that you're to live not for yourself but for God, uh, for His purposes, for His glory, maybe there uh, comes some resistance there. Really? I know, that, uh, I know that's true for pastors and missionaries. They're supposed to live that way. But, but me, I'm just a regular guy, a regular gal, trying to make it through this life. Do I really have to be dedicated, consecrated, set apart for God and His purposes? So with the second commandment, there's probably some hesitation to buy into both aspects of holiness. Now for the third commandment. Live in fear or conduct yourself with fear. I'm guessing, I'm certain that this raises a lot of questions in your mind. Fear is usually thought of as a negative, right? We don't want to experience fear. We don't want to be afraid. An actual fear of God just isn't something we grace-saturated believers uh, tend to think about. It's not part of our normal, God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for you uh, uh, culture. In some ways, it, it just doesn't sound right, or healthy, or spiritual, or pleasant, or satisfying. In our minds, it doesn't really fit with faith and joy in our election and salvation and, and our inheritance, and it certainly doesn't seem to be compatible with hope. The first command, live in hope, and the third command, live in fear, might even seem contradictory. And we even have biblical evidence for our aversion to fear. The Apostle John, 1 John 4, 18 wrote, There is no fear in love, but perfect, fear casts out, perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, For God, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So maybe uh, the Apostle Peter missed the meeting uh, with the other apostles when they got rid of fear. You know, maybe, missed the, maybe living in fear just doesn't apply anymore. Well, if Peter wasn't inspired by God, then we could go that way. 
but he was. So we need to understand what God is saying through Peter in 1 Peter. What does he mean by conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile? Now, I want you to know up front that the answer I will give, what I believe the Scripture is saying, may be difficult to understand, accept. It may be uncomfortable. So I'd ask you to carefully consider what you're about to hear, to set aside possible preconceived notions and let the text speak. I'd suggest that maturing as a Christian often comes by embracing the teachings you are not comfortable with. Teachings that are in the Bible, but are hard to understand, hard to accept. We must have confidence that God has included this command for His purposes, and that understanding it is for our good, and it's for His glory. And as a side note, it's because of passages like this. I said this when we were in Romans uh, 9 through 11, I believe. Difficult passages there. But uh, this falls into that category, I think, of difficult passages that I firmly believe, because of them, the primary method of teaching and preaching in the church should be going through whole books of the Bible. Because if we just do topics, or just pick and choose what verses we want to cover, we can avoid difficult things. And in so doing, our faith and our maturity will suffer. It will be limited. So with that as our introduction, let's focus on uh, Peter's, God's command to conduct yourselves with fear. And the first thing I want us to see is the meaning of fear. In the middle of uh, verse 17, Peter writes, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Does anyone have the, uh, is anyone using the NIV translation? Anybody got that handy? Whip it up on your phone. Uh, Sean? Can you read, you can read all of verse 17 in the NIV. I thought you had it. First one to start reading wins. In reverent fear. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Now that sounds a little better, right? Sigh of relief. We got it. Reverent fear. We can all get into the idea of fear meaning to revere or to stand in awe, to be reverent towards. I'd much rather be preaching on conducting ourselves in reverence to God. We like that. In fact, this is what you usually hear when we come across the word fear in the Bible. Uh, Oh, that just means to revere. That just means to stand in awe of. But just to be clear... There's no special word for reverent fear in the Greek. Adding that word reverent is some editor's interpretation of what he thinks the word could mean. It's, it, it, it may be right, or maybe, and I think it is, uh, too limiting. Note, okay, because, uh, let me, I'm, 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 I'm deciding which way to go here. Uh, if you go back... To uh, the verses I read from uh, John and Paul. I don't, you don't have to go back on the PowerPoint. Let me just say, there is no f- reverent fear in love. That, that wouldn't make sense, right? Or God 
for God gave us a spirit not of reverent fear. It's the same, but it's the same exact word that Peter and John and, and uh, Paul use. And it's the word uh, phobos, or where we get our word phobia. And its primary meaning is fear, dread, terror even. That which strikes terror. Now to be fair, it can also include the ideas of awe and reverence. However, if Peter were speaking only of reverence or awe, there are other Greek words that would have been better to use. For example, the author of Hebrews uses them. He writes, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Speaking of worship and reverence and awe, those, those words. Now in the Greek, both of these words also contain the, uh, a little bit of the idea of fear. But the fear, terror, dread, is less. It's secondary. And the reverence and the awe is primary. And my point is that these same words for reverence and awe were available to Peter. But he chose the one that was much more uh, fearful, if you will. There's another reason I think Peter's speaking more about, uh, about more than reverence or awe. That is because he gives a context, a time frame on fear. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. The emphasis is conducting ourselves with fear while we live as exiles in this fallen world. It's talking about now. As exiles, we're to live in fear. But once we go home to be with the Lord, there will be no fear. However, in heaven, we will continue to revere and awe and worship God. So if Peter were just talking about reverence or awe, he could have not only used a different, more appropriate word, but he also could have written, conduct yourselves with reverent fear, period. No stopping point. So my point is, when we read, conduct yourselves with fear, or whenever in the scripture you come to that word fear, don't automatically assume that it's only talking about some holy reverence or awe. I would ask that you allow for the possibility, even probability, that there may be some actual fear, uh, dread, terror involved in the way we conduct ourselves. Okay? Still with me? Whether you are or not. I'm going on. Knowing the meaning of fear, knowing that it's more than reverence or awe, that it likely includes the meaning of actual fear, terror, dread, we now come to the question, uh, what do we have to fear? There are some who would say, I'm not afraid of anything. Uh, I don't think they're very wise. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And I understand in the context that was motivating and appropriate. But Peter would say, uh, hey Frank, there are at least two other things we should fear. Two things that should cause us to conduct ourselves with fear. There's one before the command, that's what we're going to look at today. And there's one after the command, and we're going to save that for next week. First, you should fear receiving your father's judgment. This would have been a good message for next week. Next week is Father's Day. And uh, 
but it's, it's not next week. So I, don't, I don't usually switch things around. So uh, pretend it's Father's Day because there'll be some comments here for fathers as well. Uh, and next week, maybe we'll bring in some father stuff as well. Before the command, in the first half of verse 17, Peter writes, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Notice that Peter sets the context for the judgment and the fear. The judgment is by the one you call father. The context is within your relationship with God. The context is between a father and a child. It's not a courtroom judgment. It's a family judgment. Not a judgment of condemnation. Not a judgment of guilt or innocence. It's a relational judgment. So let me make one thing clear. Hear this now. God's judgment of His children spoken of here or any place in Scripture is not to determine whether they are saved or not. As Peter has already made clear, as the Bible makes clear, salvation is based on the mercy of God. God causes, because of His mercy, He causes you to be saved. Salvation is by His grace through faith. It has nothing to do with our deeds. It has nothing to do with our deeds. Stamp that on your forehead, if you will. However, once stamped there, don't let it uh, take away what comes next, okay? This is crucial. This is big. This is something that many Christians truly fail to grasp, to understand, to deal with, to consider. That is, what we do, how we live, whether we do good or bad, whether we're righteous, whether we, whether we are sinful, it matters to our Heavenly Father. And therefore, He will judge us based on our deeds. Just like uh, what you do, if you have a good earthly father, I should say, what you do is important to your earthly father. I got to see, uh, I got to see my son's gra- online graduation yesterday. yesterday? Yeah. He got his PhD and his professor talked about him. It was, all, it was a Zoom thing. All these people and that, you know, that was great. Some pride there as an earthly father. Earthly fathers care about what their children do. And because of that, we should, we should have, I certainly had, I still have a healthy fear of my dad. My dad, he's a little scary. He's less scary now, but when I was growing up, I'll tell you. As a child, I knew my father loved me, and I loved my father, but I also feared him. I could tell you stories, but I won't. I feared the consequences of my disobedience to him. And that fear helped me not become perfect, but to disobey less. That fear was good for me. In the same way, what we do is important, vital to our Heavenly Father. And because of that, we should have a healthy fear of our Abba Father, of our Daddy in heaven. As, ch- as His children, God loves us, 
And we love Him, but we should also fear Him. We should fear the consequences of our disobedience to Him. And that fear should cause us to disobey less. And that fear is good for us. Let's apply this to Peter's two previous commands. Again, these foundational commands for living as exiles in this world. First, hope fully on the grace of God. God cares if you live in hope. He cares if you're looking uh, forward to your future blessing and you base your life on that. God will judge whether we trust His promise that, that His grace will be brought to us. He will judge whether we are living in the hope of the future grace or whether we are putting our hope in the things of this world. And second, God actually cares. And this is easier to see. The hope is a little bit nebulous out there. Hope you get it. But God actually cares if you live in holiness. Did you know that? He actually cares. It matters. He will judge whether uh, we separate ourselves from the things of this world and separate ourselves for God. God will judge your deeds, your obedience or disobedience to His commands. So what we're to fear is disobedience to our Heavenly Father. We're to fear not hoping in Him. We're to fear not living in holiness unto Him. And that fear should impact our conduct. It should impact how we live. Put simply, when we're tempted to conduct ourselves in ways that, that show that our hope is not in God, it's in other things, those unholy things of this world like money and sex and power and comfort and security and on and on, when we're tempted to hope in those things, to live unholy based on those things we should fear. If you're alone, sitting in front of a computer, and the temptation comes to start browsing unholy sites, or, or if you're tempted to steal something from your employer or from your government and justify it by the way they treat you, or if you hear something about someone and you're tempted to tell someone else gossip, in each case, and so many more, you should fear giving in to that temptation, knowing it will result in the Father's judgment. This truth is often neglected in modern Christianity. And because of that, the church is often uh, not much different from the world. We think that grace means there's nothing to fear in our deeds, our behavior. Therefore, fearing God's judgment is not something uh, we often think about. We take passages like this one, 1 Peter 17. We either ignore them, interpret them in ways that make us feel comfortable. But today I want us to come face to face with the fact that our deeds, how we live, what we do, matter so much that we're to conduct ourselves with fear throughout our lives because of God's judgment of those things. Judgment, you say? What judgment? I thought after I prayed to receive Christ as my Savior, I escaped judgment. I thought that was the point. Well, if you truly did receive Christ, then you do escape one uh, very important judgment. But there, there are others. 
for believers, there are at least two aspects involved in God's judgment. First, the first has to do with God's judgment during our life now, our earthly life. We should conduct ourselves with fear of our Heavenly Father's judgment or uh, discipline. Maybe that's a more familiar word. The author of Hebrews, quoting from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, the author of Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, quotes Proverbs, and he says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly. That is exactly what we do. We regard lightly what I'm about to read. We regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. Remember, this is father-child stuff. This is family stuff. But it involves judgment. It involves discipline. It's done in love, but it's still a fearful thing. Because the Lord will reprove you. That word reprove means to rebuke or admonish. He will discipline you, which means to correct, to instruct, and involves punishment. And finally, He will chastise you, which literally means to flog or scourge you. And even though God in His grace and mercy and love disciplines us for our own good, the author of Hebrews reminds us the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Notice this is directed to the people of God. For God's people, His children, it's a fearful thing to fall into His hands to experience His judgment. But in our day, and this is the Father's Day part, it seems this fear of fatherly discipline has gotten lost, is getting lost. Notice that in Hebrews and Proverbs, 1 Peter, the context is family, a father's judgment or discipline of his child. That's the comparison that these authors are going with. The given for Solomon who wrote Proverbs And Peter and the author of Hebrews is that a loving father will discipline, punish, rebuke, chastise, spank, if you will, his children when they misbehave. However, in our day, it's going away. Commentary on, this is commentary on our culture, right? It seems that parents, fathers maybe most of all, are more concerned about their children liking them than they are about their children's character. And so they avoid or limit punishing them for their disobedience. And therefore, the child never really develops a healthy fear of their father, which makes it difficult to understand our need for a healthy fear of our heavenly father. I was blessed with a healthy fear of my father, so that healthy fear for my heavenly father came a little more easy. But I want you to understand that even though our culture has moved away from fearing fathers, for example, uh, we no longer hear the phrase, wait till your father gets home, right? Fathers, if they are involved at all in raising their children, are not seen as the disciplinarians they once were. But even though our culture has changed, the Word of God has not. 
Our Heavenly Father does judge and discipline His children. And therefore, we would be wise to conduct ourselves with fear. With fear in our relationship with our Father in heaven. We need to know to do that. So, I've I've talked about it. uh, The judgment, the discipline. uh, But to develop that fear, I think we need to understand what that judgment is. What that discipline involves. How will God judge and discipline His children? Well, in my study of Scripture, I couldn't really find specific examples of God's judgment of His children. And I believe that's by design. Because God has many disciplinary methods tailored to meet the needs of His individual children. As wise parents, we know our children. And we discipline them differently based on who they are. When my children were young, a a stern word would bring tears and repentance to my daughter, but a more physical approach uh, was needed for my son. Also, as a warning, don't assume that every bad thing that happens to you or another Christian or or even the world uh, is God's discipline. That was one of the main errors of Job's friends, assuming that all the bad things that happened to him were God's discipline for his unrighteousness, when in fact they were not. So we don't know exactly what God's discipline involves. We do know it's a fearful thing. We do know it's rebuke and chastisement. How does he do that? But we do know Our Heavenly Father judges our deeds. He disciplines those He loves. Therefore, it's appropriate that we have a healthy fear, dread, terror of the punishment, chastisement, discipline He will inflict even for our own good. And maybe the greatest discipline, the one I am fairly clear about, for those who love their Father is His displeasure with our bad deeds. If you love your earthly father, you're afraid that he will be displeased with your disobedience. You fear his displeasure. You fear a broken relationship with him. And that is the same with our father in heaven. If we love him, then we will fear displeasing him. The prophet Isaiah wrote, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened and that it cannot save, or is his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden your face from you, his face from you, so that he does not hear. Iniquity, sin, causes a separation between you and a, and a holy God. You're still his child, but your relationship is broken. Things are not right when you disobey God. Is there any greater discipline than not experiencing the presence of the Lord, the joy of the Lord? In your life. Now, speaking from personal experience, I know that when it comes to giving into temptation, uh, to disobeying God, to sinning, now I'm having to go way back. Uh, this is a long time, and no, I'm just kidding. Until I repent, yesterday, you know, until I repent, until I humbly return to my Father confessing my sin and praying for His power to overcome that sin in the future until I am reconciled with God, I'm in turmoil. If you know God, if 
you have a relationship with God and your, your relationship is broken, it's a problem with you. My hope is diminished. There's no joy in my life. Therefore, I have an appropriate fear of displeasing my Heavenly Father. I do not want to experience His judgment. I do not want to experience His displeasure. So in summary, the first reason we should conduct ourselves with fear is that of receiving discipline for disobeying and displeasing our Heavenly Father in this life. But remember, I said there were two reasons. And the second has to do with the life to come. In his second letter to the church in Corinth, Paul tells us, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due for what he has done in this body, whether good or evil. Again, as Christians, I think we often forget this aspect of our faith. That one day, each and every one of us will stand before God, and he will judge us impartially according to our deeds. And again, this is not a judgment to determine whether we're saved or not. For those who are not believers, if this is the same judgment, there's different interpretations. Do we get separated before or after this? It will mean uh, their uh, casting into uh, an eternity of separation from God. But for us, this is not a judgment of whether we go to heaven or hell. This is a judgment to determine what we will receive in heaven. We call these rewards, and they're based on what we do in this body, in this life, whether good or evil. I think Jesus was speaking of these rewards when he said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Apparently, According to Jesus, in this life, we have the ability by what we do, whether good or evil, sinful or righteous, to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And since we're laying them up there in heaven, that one day we will receive them back to ourselves. Paul makes this really clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day, the day, capital D in the ESV at least, the day, this final day, this judgment, that day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one of us has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. Paul is referring to that, that, that time when God judges our deeds, our works, whether they are good or evil, and out of that judgment, some will receive rewards. A reward. I don't know what those, there's crowns of righteousness, you know, we could go into what those are. But I think they'll be good. I want them, you know. And others, even though they will be saved, again, will suffer loss. I don't know what that means, to suffer loss. But I don't want to experience it. I fear standing before my Heavenly Father 
And the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for me with no treasure stored up in heaven. I fear that everything I did in this life will be burned up in that fire. No rewards. Nothing to show that I lived my life in hope, in the hope of future grace or in holiness set apart from the world and set apart to God. So know that, uh, that, that we live as exiles. As we live as exiles, as we walk this earth, we are to be mindful of the fact that what we do, either good or evil, matters to our Heavenly Father. And you know what? There's a whole nother... Mo- Peter's talking about this fear motivation, and it should exist. There's a whole nother motivation. There's a motivation of loving our Father. that should cause- So it's coming from both sides. It's not one or the other, it's both. God has given us a healthy uh, fear system and a healthy love system. We're to be mindful of the fact that what we do, either good or evil, matters to our Heavenly Father. That He is judging us and will judge us based on our deeds. He'll judge us based on how we live. And this should cause us to conduct ourselves with fear. To not disobey our Heavenly Father throughout the time of our exile. That's now. Because this will result in His judgment both in this life and the life to come. Okay? So that's where we'll end today. And I'm really glad I decided not to go on because I don't know if I could have done it. Next week, after a review... We'll begin with the second reason to conduct ourselves with fear found in verses 18, 19, and really continuing through to verse 21. So let me close in prayer. Let me pray that we will take what we've heard today to heart, that in our loving relationship with our Heavenly Father, we will conduct ourselves with fear of receiving His judgments. Father God, uh, this is something we don't always, we don't talk about very often. Help us to understand. Help it it to penetrate our hearts that you really care, that it matters to you how we live. Lord, that we're saved by grace. That through your mercy, you've, you've called us, you've elected us, you've chosen us. But after that, you, you care how we live, Lord. You give us your Holy Spirit to overcome sin to live for you, Father. Help us to know it matters to you and that, that knowledge will drive us, that knowledge, that fear of your judgments, of your displeasure will drive us. That our love for you will drive us and that fear of you will drive us. Will drive us to, 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 to follow after you, to set ourselves apart unto you, Father. And that's for our good. This fear that you've given uh, us is for our good. I pray we would understand that and that we would conduct ourselves in it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. God bless you as you're dismissed, and we'll see you uh, next week as we continue this message.